Well, welcome to Sojourn Church. We're grateful that you are here today. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, just excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. If you actually need a copy of the Bible, would you just raise your hand? We have, uh, have some guys that will bring a copy of that around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us this morning. So just keep your hand up until they find you. Uh, we have plenty of copies for you to use. If you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift just so you could read along uh, with us uh, this morning, but also have it throughout the week just to, to have God's Word. As Alan said this morning, we really want to be a people of the Word that sit under God's Word and allow that to speak into our life, and so we want you to have a copy of it. Man, does anybody here know anybody that's a forgetful person? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, you, maybe you're the forgetful person, right? So I know myself. I'm a forgetful person. There are varying degrees of forgetfulness. It may just be that you're forgetful sometimes because life is overwhelming. You have so much going on that it's just difficult for you to remember. Sometimes it may be that you're a forgetful person because you're just disorganized, if you're just honest with yourself, right? I mean, you just don't have an organized style to life, and so you tend to forget things. Maybe you're absent-minded. Sometimes people are forgetful because of aging and disease. Forgetful people need to be reminded of things. Forgetful people need to be uh, told uh, things that need to be done and over and over again, how to do something, what to do, maybe where something is located. I mean, to some degree, all of us are forgetful people, right? I mean, we can't possibly remember everything. I have a pretty good memory, but I still use different tools to help me to remember to get different things done throughout the week. But more than that, we are all forgetful because throughout the day, today of life, we forget who we are. We forget who we are. We're like the man in James who, James says, looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. We forget who we are, and as we forget who we are, we forget who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Today we are concluding our time in the book of Leviticus. In the midst of our series, as we've been walking through the first five books of the Bible, today we're going to wrap up the book of Leviticus. And the text we're going to look at today is a nice bookend to what we talked about specifically two weeks ago in looking at the Day of Atonement. And this text we're going to look at today, I think, is a fitting end to our time in Leviticus. Two weeks ago, we talked about resting. And today, we will talk about rest again. And I hope continue to be encouraged, to continue to be challenged Challenge to see the impact rest has on our own lives, but not just our lives, on the lives of those around us as well. And because we are a forgetful people like Israel, my hope is, is that today that we together, as we open up God's word, would be reminded of who we are, would be reminded of who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. So before we open up the word together this morning, let's just pray to God that he would help us to understand his word. Let's pray. Father, it never gets old to gather together. If we're honest, Lord, we can tend to think it's old, tend to think that it's routine. But Lord, it's such a joy to be able to be together as your people, to sing songs together, to open up your word together. All of these things are a gift of grace to us, to help us, Lord. Because throughout the day-to-day of life, whether life is good right now, whether it's difficult, whether we feel burdened by a lot of things, whether we're just busy with a lot of things, Lord, we are grateful that today we get to slow down, to pause for a few moments, 
and just hear from your word this morning. And so I pray as we wrap up our time in the book of Leviticus this morning, Lord, that you would use your word to encourage our hearts today, that we would find rest in this place this morning. As we gather together in this place, this would be a place of rest because you're a God who gives us rest. So Lord, we pray that your word would do a work that only it can do through the power of your spirit and that you'd be honored by it. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to look through kind of the whole chapter here. It's a long chapter. Uh, But to begin, we're just going to read verses 1 through 10. So you can read along silently with me and see the text on the screen as well. Leviticus chapter 25 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. At first glance, this may seem like a little bit of a weird text. I mean, even as we were talking about it this week, kind of planning out the service and the different songs that we were singing, it was just caused us to pause and kind of say, hey, do we really understand what's going on here? How do we preach this text? Does it even apply to our lives at all? Is there a way that we can seek to see it being relevant to us here and now? But one of the best things about the Word of God is that while each aspect of it was not necessarily written to us originally, it is for us. It is for us. There's always something we can learn, always something that we can grow in understanding of, something we can be challenged with or encouraged with. And most importantly, as we look into God's Word at any point in any place, we can always see an aspect of how God is unfolding His plan of redeeming grace in this world. And I think that Leviticus 25 is one of those spots that we see a lot of these things. There are three themes that emerge out of Leviticus 25, and I want to give those to you now so that you can see them emerge as we walk through the text. These three themes are rest, release, and redemption. Rest, release, and redemption. So let's walk through this and see these different themes. God has already given instructions to his people that once a week they should take a Sabbath rest. We see that earlier in the book of Leviticus. And the the word Sabbath actually means rest. God's people, by God's design, are to work six days and rest one. 
But what we see in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 25 is that God also gives his people a Sabbath year. This is a command that they're supposed to follow once they get into the land that he's going to give to them. Instead of just not working one day a week for a whole year, the people are not to farm the land. Now this is not so much an extended vacation as it is a rest for the land. Look at verse 4 again. It says in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. But inherent in this, in this command that God gives to his people to allow the land to rest for a year is trusting of the Lord. The people cannot farm for a year. I mean, this is crucial for them. This is how they get their food, how they provide for their family and all their livestock. There's no Wegmans to go to. There's no Whole Foods they can stop by. They can't swing by five guys and pick up a burger or Chick-fil-A and grab some nuggets. There's nothing they can do to get food for themselves. They have to depend on God. And he says he will provide for them. He will provide for them through the land during this time. Whatever grows up naturally, they can eat, but they can't work the land. It must rest, so they must rest. This presses on what rest is. What does God mean when he calls his people to rest once a week? What does God mean when he calls his people to rest once every seven years? So we have to understand rest is not just hanging out on the couch, not doing anything. Rest is an act of humble worship as a people who are dependent on God. It's an act of humble worship. It brings humility when we rest to say, I'm not God, you are, and you're in control. But see, this isn't the end of God's command to rest. As we express our dependence on him, as we say that we trust him and we believe that he's good, we believe he's going to provide, he amps it up a little bit more. In verses 8 through 22, we find out there's something even bigger, even more far-reaching. Every week, there's to be a day of rest. Every seven years, there's to be a year of rest from working the land. But then we see in verses 8 through 10 that every 50 years, there's to be what could we, we could really call a mega rest. This thing called a year of jubilee. In some ways, the year of jubilee sounds a lot like the Sabbath year, but there's additional information given, additional commands given to God's people. Specifically, we see that rest leads to these other two themes of release and redemption. First off, we see that a trumpet will sound after the Day of Atonement. After sacrifice has been made, after the goat has been sacrificed and another goat sent out into the wilderness to pay for sin and remove sin from the people as a symbol of that, a trumpet will sound in the 50th year and a message is to be proclaimed, liberty, liberty. People are to return to their property and to return to their family, within their clan, within their tribe. Now this is a monumental command It means that land that has been given away, land that has been sold, should be released. And that people who have become indentured servants or slaves because of economic woes should be released and set free. Now this is not a leveling of all possessions. It's only talking about land and only talking about service. Now what we see in the remainder of Leviticus 25 is God unpacking the specifics of this. What does it look like for his people to rest every 50th year, and release all of these things back. Now, we don't have time to go through all of the chapter verse by verse. There's 55 verses. But I want to explain the concepts here because it's important for us to understand these things. 
the land that God was giving to his people would be divided up. We, we find out later on in Scripture the specific boundaries that God gives to his people, that each of the 12 tribes of Israel would have specific plots of land. And within that tribe, specific families and clans would each have a portion of land. But because of sin, because of economic woes, sometimes this land would be sold off to others. Now the year of Jubilee comes, and it's a time when all land is released and returned to its ancestral owner essentially to start over again. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, this does not seem fair. If I sold my land to somebody or somebody sold their land to me, why in the world would it be fair for me just to turn it back over to them again? I paid for it. I bought it. In some respects, you're right. It doesn't seem very fair. But I think the part of the reason that we don't think that it's fair is because we don't understand whose land it actually is. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Sojourner means just someone who's journeying through, just passing through. This is not a permanent thing. And so God's reminding his people, this land isn't yours, it's my land. In fact, this is temporary for you. This is not where you you will be forever. You're just passing through. It's the prerogative of the owner to do with what he wants with the land. And we see that God is the owner of the land. Which means that the people are essentially tenants of the land. They're tenants of the land. So when they sell their land to someone else, what they're essentially doing is subletting it out. They're subletting it. So maybe you guys have... Uh, when you were in college, or maybe if you're currently in college, you, you've, you've rented an apartment or a house or something like that, and most of the time you have to sign a year lease, but you're not in school for a year, and so for three months you're trying to find someone else to help pay your rent that you owe, and so you sublet out your room or your apartment for somebody else to rent. But at the end of the day, that's not their place. It's your place. It needs to be returned to you ultimately. And the reason that's the case is because the owner says that's the way that it should work out. That's what God's doing here with his people. Every 50 years, this land needs to be returned to who God says is going to steward it. Now this echoes creation principles. In Genesis chapter 1, God tells us that he's the creator of all things. We see that he creates everything out of nothing. Then he creates man and woman. And the thing that he tells them to do is to have dominion over the land, to cultivate it. He says, you need to be stewards of this land. You are vice regents. You rule with me, but this is my land. I'm God. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth, all of it is the Lord's, but he has called his people to be stewards of it. Now, in giving this command, God is reminding his people of something, something that's been true since the beginning. All things are on loan to his people, but belong to him. So he can say in verse 24, And in all the country you possess, you shall allow redemption of the land. Now, we have to understand that land's a big deal for God's people. I think living in a suburban and metro context that we don't quite understand that. Some of us own land, some of us never will own land. But probably for everyone in this room, almost everyone at least in this room, your land or lack thereof is not going to affect your livelihood. It's not gonna, your livelihood is not going to depend on what land you have or own. But for God's people, it very much depended on it. This is how they got their provision. This is where their food and their shelter would be. It's their inheritance 
that they pass on from family to family. Their entire livestock and livelihood depended on, was contingent on their land. So that's where God introduces this idea of redemption. He's saying your land is able, it must be able to be redeemed. Redemption must be possible. Now this word redemption, it's something we throw around in the church, but do we really understand what redemption means? The word redemption means that a price must be paid, an exchange must take place. As we go and redeem coupons, right, we hand them in to get something in return for that. So when redemption takes place, something must be offered in exchange for something else. It's paid for. So God lays out the scenario saying all land must be able to be redeemed. It all must be able to be returned to its ancestral owners. And there's different ways that that can happen. He gives three options. Let's look at these quickly. Verse 25, he gives our first option of redeeming land. He says, if your brother becomes poor and sells property, part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. This concept that's introduced here is what we could call the kinsman redeemer. Your kinsman, your close relative, becomes a redeemer for you. And this kinsman redeemer is someone who would buy back the property for your family in case you lost it. This protected the inheritance and made sure that a poor relative would never become absolutely destitute in their lifetime. That's our first option. But then he gives a second option. Verses 26 and 27. He says, if a man has no one to redeem it, so if you don't have a kinsman redeemer, maybe you don't have a relative that has the resources to provide. He says, then himself becomes, if this person becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, Let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. In other words, if you've sold off land, if eventually you come and and you you have the resources to buy back that land, then you're able to do that. That person you sold it to has to sell it back to you at a fair price. But then there's the third option, verse 28. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. In other words, every 50 years, no matter what, if you've sold it off and you don't have enough resources, there's not someone there to redeem it for you, God releases it for you. It says it goes back to you. It goes back to you. And this happens for everyone. We see these three themes here of resting, release, and redemption as a message of liberty and freedom is proclaimed. But there are other situations that might cause a person not just to sell their land, but to sell themselves into servitude because of difficulties in life. But God provides rest, release, and redemption for them as well. First off, in verses 35 through 43, God reminds his people to take care of one another. He says, look, if you see a brother around you who's struggling financially, take care of them, provide for them. I mean, this is an overarching biblical principle for us. We see it throughout Scripture. God says you need to take care of your family. And your family is not just your nuclear family. It's the people of God. That still applies to us today. God's people take care of one another. But then in verses 47 through 55, he outlines the same three options for someone who finds themselves sold into slavery out of need. Option one, a kinsman redeemer can buy you back. Option two, you can buy yourself release and redemption by your own means. But option three, if none of the above is possible, at the Jubilee, you are released. You are set free. Now there's a social and a spiritual component to all this. 
Socially, it allows for relief. It allows for help. It says that God's people will be a community of grace. Because that's what this is. This is grace. You don't deserve to get this land back. You don't deserve to be released from slavery. But God says every 50 years you will. That's grace upon grace for his people. But it's also, that's also why it's spiritual. It reminds God's people of who God is. It reminds him, them of what he's done. The rest, the release, the redemption they've received in and through him. He reminds them of this multiple times throughout chapter 25. Verse 38, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Verse 42, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. Verse 55, for it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What God's reminding his people is that how you treat others should flow from understanding who they are, who God is, and what he's done. They have been released, so they should give release. They have been redeemed, so they should give redemption. Every time they do this, it brings a new beginning, a renewal, a restoration. These are festivals of freedom that God gives to his people. They're festivals of freedom, but as much as they look back to what God has done, what God's trying to help his people do is look forward to what is to come. God's bringing them to a new land, a place that he will give them. And it's in this place that they'll find rest. In this place, they'll find release from captivity as they've come out of Egypt. In this place that they'll find redemption as God's people. And so liberty is the message of the year of Jubilee. When the trumpet sounds, land is freed and the people are freed. See, resting means releasing and redeeming. And release and redemption means God's people can rest. It's grace upon grace to his people. Now, this is a countercultural message to the world, but that shouldn't be surprising to us because God doesn't do things the way that the world does. Rest, release, and redemption remind us of God's character, the one who institutes all of this. All of the seasons of rest that God gives to his people, whether it's once a week, whether it's once a year at the Day of Atonement, once it's, whether it's once every seven years at the year of rest or in this mega rest, God is reminding his people that they are dependent on him and that he is God. Life is always better under his lordship. But the sad reality is that Israel didn't listen to God. They didn't obey him. They didn't rest. They followed the way of Adam and rejected God's lordship. They sought to go their own way, and so God removed them from the land that he gave to them. But that's not the end. God never intended it to be. Because as we've said throughout this whole entire series in the Torah, God is faithful to his promises and to his people. He promised that a future rest was still to come. And that he would bring it about through a new covenant. He will be their God. They will be his people. And nothing can thwart the plans of Almighty God. See, Sojourn, when we read Leviticus 25, we have to see that it is in and through Jesus that all three of these things are fulfilled. That all of them come about. Rest, release, and redemption. In Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, it tells the story of Jesus going into the synagogue and, and Jesus opens up a scroll of Isaiah and he sits there and he reads this out loud and this is what he says in, in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he said to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus was saying very clearly and definitively that it is through him that the year of Jubilee is fulfilled. Now, this is not saying that Jesus is promising financial prosperity. This is not saying that Jesus is providing financial freedom. This is not about money. This is not about possessions. What Jesus is saying is, is that he's overthrowing the curse of sin. He's overthrowing the curse of sin and its effects. The reason that land would be sold off. The reason someone would be in slavery. He's putting it to death forever. Bringing rest, release, and redemption forever. In Jesus, we receive rest. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, don't look anywhere else for rest. Come to me for rest. In Mark, he tells us that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. In Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus is our rest. Through Jesus, we receive release. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, we looked at this a few weeks ago. It says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from, has been released from sin. And Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free, has released you in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Through Jesus, we receive redemption. Let's not forget something. Let's not overlook something that we see in Leviticus 25. The year of Jubilee starts after atonement. The trumpet sounded after atonement. Sacrifice has been made. That's true for Israel, and that's true for us through Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Sojourn, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He paid the price for us. He satisfied all our debts so that we would not lose our inheritance. Our debt was not monetary, it was moral. We rebelled against God, sold ourselves to sin. And the consequences of our rebellion is death and slavery. But through Christ, our Redeemer is life. You and I have no way to pay for that ourselves. Option two is not an option for us. We can't come up with our own means to release ourselves from slavery. But we have a kinsman Redeemer who comes and pays the price for us and frees us from that. Rest, release, and redemption is grace upon grace to us also. 
But Sojourn, here's the amazing thing about what Christ has done. He's brought rest, release, and redemption to us now, yet there's still more to come. Because Christ has come and he will come again. He's brought rest, release, and redemption, but it isn't over. We recognize that the effects of sin still remain in our life. We see the brokenness of the world around us. But we know that one day a final rest, a final release, and a final redemption will come. Listen to John's words in Revelation chapter 21. John has a vision of the new heavens and he says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Sojourn, when Christ returns, there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more shame, no more mental suffering, no more physical suffering, no more broken relationships. No more human trafficking, no more lying, no more cheating, no more anger, no more anxiety, no more hate, no more racism, no more classism, no more oppression, no more exploitation, no more darkness, no more sadness, no more death. All of those things come as a consequence of our sin, but Jesus came to defeat and overcome all of it through his death. In his resurrection, he brings rest, he brings release, and he brings redemption. Because he is the first and the last and the living one. He died and behold, he's alive forevermore. See, as you and I read Leviticus 25, as we read about the year of Jubilee, it should cause us to remember the reality of the cross and the empty tomb, but it should cause us to look forward to the new city, to the new city when this will be finally completed See, the jubilee of Israel began with the sound of the trumpet. And the final jubilee of Christ our King will do the same. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul finishes with these words, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another. We know that Christ has come. We know that he will come again. But now we find ourselves waiting. But there's hope. There's hope. So Paul says, encourage one another with the rest, the release, and the redemption you have received, and encourage one another with the rest, release, and redemption that is to come. I want to close with two quick applications for us in addition to encouraging one another in this. The first one is this, is that we need to rest in our redemption now. You have been set free. 
As we said earlier, resting means releasing and redeeming, and release and redemption means God's people can rest. The price of your sin has been paid. By faith alone, in Christ alone, you are now a child of God, no longer separated, but restored. We can rest because all the requirements of the law have been fulfilled in Jesus. And as Alan preached two weeks ago, looking at the Day of Atonement is that through Christ our sin has been paid for and through Christ our sin has been removed from us, which means that you and I can rest now. We don't need to try and perform for God or impress Him. Can I remind you once again, Sojourn, that it, it, it doesn't, God doesn't love you more because you read your Bible. He, he doesn't love you more because you're sitting here today. He doesn't love you more because you serve. He doesn't love you more because you give. He doesn't love you more because you try to be a good person to other people. But God also doesn't love you less when you don't do these things. Having a good spiritual day or a bad spiritual day has no bearing on God's love for you because God's love for you comes in and through Jesus. In Romans 5.8, it tells us God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son to us to rescue us. It's not what you do that gets God's love. It's what Christ has done for us that enables us to experience that. So we can rest. You have been released. You have been redeemed. But I want to clarify something in the midst of this that can be often misunderstood. Resting in your freedom and in your redemption does not mean not doing anything. It doesn't mean not doing anything. It means doing all you can to pursue Christ now because you've been set free from your bondage and debt and slavery to sin. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, after Paul talks about our freedom and what Christ has done, he says this to us, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told about God's rest, and this comes right after Hebrews chapter 3 where he says, look, sin is deceitful, And many have been led astray. He says, exhort one another every day so that we're not deceived by sin. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 11, he says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's talking about Jesus returning. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. He's saying you can't do anything to earn that from God. But then he says this, Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Isn't it interesting? Strive and rest in the same sentence. Sometimes we think that those things don't go together. But here in God's word, it tells us they do go together. So resting in your redemption is not calling out sick. It's not playing hooky. Striving to enter that rest means setting your mind on Christ and not the things of this world. Striving to enter the rest means disciplining yourself not to be deceived by sin. This looks like spending time in God's word, saturating your mind and your heart with it so that you can recognize sin, you can recognize lies of the enemy and of your flesh. Striving to enter rest means that you are a part of a community where everyone is speaking truth to everyone, helping one another to see what is true, to see what is good, and to reject that which is false, to be who we are in Christ. Striving to enter God's rest means gathering with the church to be encouraged, to be challenged with gospel truth. 
It's rest because you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor, to earn his love, to earn his grace. It's rest because now you're able to do those things because you've already received that from God. As we've said, what God requires, he provides. Do we remember Matthew chapter 11? We come to Jesus for rest. But as we come to him for rest, we take his yoke upon us. We listen to him. We learn from him. He set us free from oppression. He's released us and he's redeemed us. And as we rest in him, we can now follow him as Lord. Because he is Lord over every aspect of our life. It's because of our freedom and redemption that we can be who God is calling us to be now in Christ. So this isn't legalism. It's not following a bunch of rules to earn God's love. But it's also not license, saying that I'm going to make my own rules and do my own things. This is the reality of the gospel. The reality that before you understood who Christ is and what he's done for you, that you were dead in your sin. But when Christ came and the grace of God came to bear on your life, that it made you alive. And now you're able to follow him. You're able to walk in obedience to him as he desires you to be, as he designed you to live for his glory, for your good, and for the good of others. Which leads us to our second thing. We need to give rest, release, and redemption to others. We need to give rest, release, and redemption to others. As people who have received it, who've received these three things, we should give it to others. In fact, it's the only way we're able to do that with people is because we've received it first. But we have nothing that is lasting to give to anyone except Jesus. So here's my question for us as a church. As we go out from this place, understanding our own rest, understanding our own release, understanding our own redemption in and through Christ, is to look around you and ask this question, who else needs rest, release, and redemption? Maybe it's a single mom who's struggling right now to make ends meet, to take care of her kids, and she feels so weighed down and so burdened, thinking, man, this life is so difficult. Maybe she needs to hear the message of rest, release, and redemption. Maybe it's your kids. That you have high expectations from your ki- for your kids that they will never meet. And it's crushing them. Maybe they need to hear the message of rest and release and redemption that comes in and through Jesus. Maybe it's your spouse. They're never perfect. They always are doing something wrong. They don't fold the socks the right way. They always put the toilet paper on backwards. Maybe something more significant than that. They just can't please you the way that you want them to and you're crushing them with those expectations. And what they need to hear from you is the message of rest, release, redemption. Maybe it's your employees. You lord it over your employees, demanding things from them that God never demands from you. That they need to hear and see through you a message of rest, release, and redemption. We can look around us and ask the same question and look at people who are abused physically, sexually, emotionally, and say, man, they need to hear the message of rest, release, and redemption that comes in and through Jesus. Maybe it's the marginalized of our culture that we've pushed to the outsides, that sit in the shadows of our culture, that we like to walk by and pass and pay no attention to, that are feeling oppressed and exploited right now. What they need to hear and see through you is the message of rest, release, and redemption that comes in and through Jesus. Maybe it's victims of human trafficking that have been sold into slavery for sex or for work, that what they need to hear is that through Jesus comes rest, release, and redemption. Maybe it's the poor around you in Fairfax and around the world that need to know that it's through Jesus, 
that the good news is preached to them, and it's a message of rest and release and redemption that comes in and through him. See, oftentimes we need to recognize that as we meet people's physical needs, that allows us to meet their spiritual needs. As we see them resting from oppression, resting from difficulties in life, resting from all these things, being released from that, that we, that's not the ultimate thing. That what we ultimately tell them is that, yes, that is good, but what ultimately is going to give you peace in this life and the life to come is knowing Christ, who gives you the ultimate rest, the ultimate release, the ultimate redemption. Maybe for some of you, and maybe it's in this people in this room this morning, what you need to hear is the same message because you are heavy laden. You are burdened down right now because of guilt and shame in your life. But Jesus' message to you this morning is rest, release, redemption. Maybe it's your neighbors around you that are working so hard to impress someone. They don't even know who. They're seeking satisfaction in this life by the things that they can gain and gather, what their lawn looks like, what kind of house they have, what their bank account looks like, and it is an oppressive master. And what they need to hear is that will never satisfy them. They need to hear a message of rest, release, and redemption. Maybe it's the nations. As we look around the world and see people who don't know Christ, our church supports a missionary who's in Japan right now. And Japan is a culture that is a, is a high expectation culture. It's the second largest unreached people group in the entire world and has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Expectations that people can never meet. The message that the people of Japan need to hear is a message of rest, release, and redemption that comes in and through Jesus. We support a missionary in Haiti. And in Haiti right now, there's a lot of darkness spiritually. People worshiping false gods, seeking to find and please these false gods and false spirits. There's a lot of darkness there. And it's an oppressive place. The message they need to hear is the message of Jesus, which is one of rest, release, and redemption. Sojourn, everything we have, all we know can be used to bring this message to all people. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. It doesn't matter if you know a lot or if you know a little. If you know the king, then you have all you need. As we have received, so we give. Living with kingdom-mindedness, doing kingdom work, Because we know the king, and we know that he is coming back to establish the fullness of his kingdom. But until that day comes, we proclaim liberty to all people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus is preaching what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who realize that they are in need of God's help. They're spiritually bankrupt. In spiritual poverty, and, but they recognize that. So the reality for all of us is that all of us are poor in spirit. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we realize it or not? Do we realize it? As we look around the people all around us, do we see it in them? Will we go and tell them? Will we give them Jesus? Sojourn, Jesus is our rest. He gives release from our debt and bondage of slavery to slavery and sin He brings restoration and redemption through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So where are you today? Do you need rest? Do you need release? Do you need redemption? Are you burdened right now with guilt or shame? Are you trying to be a good person? To try and earn God's favor so that he'll accept you? Listen, Jesus is the answer. He's always the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And him and him alone is peace. So come to him. 
Lay down your burdens, whatever they might be, and come to him. Confess your sin and your rebellion. Confess your unbelief and come to him today. There's no better time. Ask God to save you from your sin today for the first time. Ask him to release it from you, to release you from it today if you've been struggling with it. Ask him to redeem you, believing that Jesus lived the life you cannot live, died the death that you deserve to die, and that God raised him from the dead so that you could have life now and forever. Enter by faith into the jubilee of Christ. Sojourn, as we end our time in Leviticus, let's remember and let's remind one another that Jesus has come and he will come again to finish this work, to finish this work, to bring a final rest release and redemption in our lives and in our world. And because we know that, we can together cry, amen, come Lord Jesus. We're gonna respond to God's grace this morning to us in Christ by taking communion, by coming forward and taking it. We'll eat a small piece of bread and drink out of a small cup, but I don't want it just to be a rote action for you, that you just come forward because this is what we do every week. Instead, let it encourage your soul today. Because God's words say to you that every time we do this, every time we take the bread, every time we take the cup and we eat and we drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As we come to this meal, this is a hopeful meal, saying we know what Jesus has done for us and we're hopeful for what he's going to do when he returns. Because Jesus gave his body for you, because Jesus shed his blood for you, you can have rest now and forever. So let this communal meal draw you closer to him and closer to one another so that we can help one another strive to enter the rest. Today we're going to sing an old hymn called Come to Me. And the third verse and chorus say this, Bring him all thy burdens, all thy guilt and sin. Mercy's door is open. Rise up and enter in. There is freedom. Taste and see. Hear the call. Come to me, run into his arms of grace, your burden carried, he will take. Sojourn, as you listen to these words this morning, respond to the invitation of grace that God gives to you in and through Jesus. Whether that's for the first time today or the hundredth time in your life, respond to that invitation of grace today. Lay down your burdens, lay down your guilt, lay down your sin and come to Jesus for rest. And those of you that are not followers of Christ, we would ask you not to come forward to take communion this morning. Because for us, this is a declaration that we are desperate for Jesus, that we realize that we are lost apart from him. So if you've never turned away from sin and in faith trusted in Jesus, we don't want you to come forward and take communion. We want you to experience that. We want you to respond to God's grace in and through Christ today. And so that's where you find yourself this morning. We just ask you to hang out in your seat and respond to God's offer of grace to you today. Pray and ask God to redeem you today, to release you today, to bring you into his rest today. If you have questions about what that means to know and follow Christ, please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. And any of our other leaders would love to do that as well. And those of you that will come forward, you come forward when you're ready. Tear up a small piece of bread and take a small cup to drink, and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful, Lord, just for chapters like Leviticus 25 that at first read through, at first glance, seems difficult to figure out, well, how in the world does this apply to our life here and now? There's no trumpets 
blaring. There's no land released in return for us here and now. But Lord, I thank you that as we look at your whole word and all of your scripture that we see, that no, this is relevant to us because it's through Christ that this is ultimately fulfilled. And so this morning, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who recognize that because of what Christ has done for us, that we have already experienced rest. We've already been released from the bondage of sin, and we've experienced redemption, being transferred from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your Son, the kingdom of light and life. So Lord, help us to live that out now. But also as we go out from this place, I pray that we would give that to other people, that we would not keep that message to ourselves, but we would proclaim liberty to everyone who needs to hear it, And Lord, that you would bring that to the people of Fairfax, to the people of Northern Virginia, to the people of this country, to the people of this world. Lord, we long for your return. We long for Jesus to come back, to hear the trumpet. But Lord, until that day, I pray that we would rest and we would proclaim the freedom we have in Christ. Lord, help us to lay everything down that's burdening us today and come to you to rest in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you love us, that loved us enough to send your son to die for us to call us now sons and daughters. Help us to rest in that truth today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.